Hi friends, I'm Andy Green, and today I'm identifying my innermost fantasies and desires and finding a fun, healthy way to express them with a partner because this is the Naked Man Podcast. This week's guest is Rachel Overvall, a somatic sex and intimacy coach with Modern Intimacy and the author of Finding Feminism, a memoir that chronicles her journey breaking from a fundamentalist evangelical Christian upbringing and her healing from sexual trauma and domestic abuse. When this episode comes out, you will also be able to purchase The Breakup Journal, a book that offers hands-on interactive prompts to help you heal. Through everything that she does, Rachel is dedicated to healing, to helping people return home to their body and live a life of pleasure. I want that. I need that. I also don't quite know how to do that. Um, So I reached out to Rachel. We recorded an introductory session that will be shared in some capacity in the future, but today we're going even deeper in our second session, and we're focusing on my fantasies and desires. Gulp. Oh no. Uh, let's, let's do it. Let's do it. Rachel Overvall, welcome to the Naked Man podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, How about we start with just like a little education around fantasy and desire? Ooh. Kind of ease into it. I like that you immediately, yeah, that sounds great. Okay, (laughs) okay, awesome. So I think that this can ease us into any type of like uh, more comfortability with the conversation too, just understanding the realities, the research, the science behind fantasy and desire. And there's actually a lot. Mm. And so a lot of times we can think about fantasy or desire as this like elusive thing. Maybe we have it, maybe we don't. Maybe we have a fantasy, maybe we don't. Maybe we feel desire, maybe we don't. And if we do or don't, something's wrong with us or we're broken or how do I get this? I can't, I can't achieve this. So let's just start with desire. Desire is not as elusive as we think, right? It's not desire and fantasy does not mean anything about us as broken or good or bad. They're just pieces of human experiences and pieces Mm. of sexuality and sensuality that we should all have access to experiencing. So fantasy can bring up a lot. It can bring up a lot of shame and guilt. So can desire. Desire, having higher desire than your partner, having lower desire than your partner can bring up a lot of shame and guilt as well. If you're the lower desire partner, you can feel really guilty for always rejecting the higher desire partner. If you're the higher desire partner, you can feel like you're unattractive to your partner because they don't want you as much as you want them. That's a really common thing in long-term relationships as well. What you're experiencing though, and a lot of those situations is actually spontaneous versus responsive desire. Typically we fall into one or two categories of these. Sometimes we can switch between the two of them depending on context. But responsive desire are people that are people with responsive desire just need a little bit more to warm them up. They don't look at their partner and they're like, let's go, I'm turned on. They need quite a bit more to like rev the engine. People with spontaneous desire, on the other hand, can really just like look at their partner and they're ignited. They don't need that much to rev the engine. Neither is good or bad or right or wrong. They're just two types of desire and categories that we typically fall into. So I'll start there with the desire and then we can maybe dive into fantasy. That sounds good. And I and I guess in terms of desire, I mean, I think I'm pretty spontaneous, I would say, but I think it also kind of <laughs> goes both. 
Like, I think I am responsive in the same way. Like, I, I remember saying this and it like scared the shit out of <laughs> Lily. I was just sort of like, if you're if you're in the mood, I am. And it or like basically and that's to me sounds very responsive. But it was just sort of like I'm turned on by someone being turned on by me or, or you know, like or just the that feeling. Mm -hmm. um, but I think how it came out, it sounded like I was always down, you know, or like I'm like running around the like mm -hmm. the corner of the house being like, I'm ready. Uh, rather than it just being like, <laughs> if you're into it, I am. Uh, and that was just more of a, it's like a combo of the spontaneous and responsive. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. But yeah, I felt a lot of what you said. I think I've felt been there on all those different things. I mean, uh, certainly feel a lot of shame about this conversation in general. Um, but mm -hmm. yeah, and, and we can go deeper into it uh, if you wanted to talk more about the, I guess, the fantasy aspect of it more. But if, if but I'm also... Uh, I just know that I was like blocking myself for a bit, just on even thinking about fantasies that I could mm. share, you know, like I think maybe having this conversation with a friend or with a partner, I don't think it'd be necessarily easy, but it being recorded and we're doing a podcast, a lot of my shame was like, this needs to be like interesting, cool fantasies <laughs> or, or, or like not be just boring, like, oh, I want a threesome, you know, and that's like, and why is that a bad thing? thing if that's what I want um, or if that's what I'm mm -hmm. a fantasy that I have. Um, but a lot of it was just like worrying about that judgment from other people and also feeling mm -hmm. shame that I can just have these fantasies and where they come from, because I think a lot of them kind of come from, you know, like the media or or even porn or something like that and be like, mm -hmm. there's that's something gross about that. And like and that makes then in turn makes me feel gross to like buy into it. Yeah, well, then let's start with de-shamifying this with some education around fantasies. Yeah. Yeah. Uh <laughs> so fantasies are the maps actually to our core desires and our core desires are what we mm. truly want to experience in sex. A lot of times these core desires are created through unmet childhood needs or wounding. Maybe you grew up in a home where you felt really ignored. And now a lot of your fantasies revolve around being the star at the center of attention or experiencing all eyes on you. That would be an example of a fantasy healing a piece of childhood that felt like there was an unmet need. But our fantasies are nothing to be scared of. They actually teach us a lot about ourselves. Fantasies teach us how we want to be received in sex and how we want to show up. And when we map out our fantasies to really see like what our core desires are in this fantasy, we can have sex that includes a lot of transcendence and healing as well. We can get into the spiritual piece of sex and sexuality. That sounds nice, you know, right? Like why, why aren't we living uh, our life with the best sex that we can have? Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, shame and lack of sex education and fear. Right. Um, and there's, there's also a, two types many. of fantasies. Yeah. Many. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, what are the two types of fantasies? So there is repetition agency fantasy and then there's reparative fantasy. Reparative fantasy. Let's use one. I'll use one example for both of them. Say I was a, I was a child. My mom came in and caught me masturbating. And now I have a lot of shame around masturbation. That's like a childhood wound, right? My sexuality was shamed at a young age. A reparative fantasy could look like, as an adult, I want my partner to watch me masturbate and tell me you're incredible, you're beautiful, you're such a good girl, I love watching you. That could be a reparative fantasy. I'm repairing a wound in that. Having the opposite experience of what happened as a child.
a repetition agency fantasy, which is also just as healthy, neither is better or worse or good or bad, would be, I actually want to experience the same thing that happened to me as a child, but I want to experience it through my own consent and agreement. So it would be, I want to have my partner watch me masturbate. And as they do, I want them to tell me I'm a bad girl, that I'm so wrong, that I'm dirty, right? The the healing part of this comes through, I'm doing it as an adult with consent, agency, and choice, which can be a really healing piece as well. Right. You're taking back the power of a situation that was, it's like about as powerless as you can feel when being walked in on something at, uh, on a very intimate moment. Um, and then uh, especially, I mean, depending on the the parents, that could be a very lasting judgment too. It's like Absolutely. a, it's, it's one of those distinctions that seems like, I mean, they're two halves of the same whole or, or, and, and that like, I feel like both, both sides, like I, when you were saying describing them, I think they both apply to different fantasies or desires of mine too. And I think that's a really, the therapy aspect of sex therapy is, is I'm, is lighting my brain up right now because I think what gets in the name sex therapy i get hung up on oh my god i'm talking about sex with like kind of a stranger and sharing this with people but also mm -hmm. that's i mean that's what i'm doing with this show in many ways but i the therapy aspect is like so healing and the idea of going underneath these things and and i and i think immediately what i you know thought of and this won't surprise anyone based on a, like previous episodes is foreskin play you know and and and, and growing up feeling a lot of shame and and feeling gross and and uh, and different and bad and wrong because of being intact, being uncircumcised. But you know, there's a reason that I would like search out <laughs> porn that had foreskin in it to, to see pleasure happen with like you know with my own penis or be able to have that uh, you know see that. But then also to have like a partner like own and explore and like love the part of me that. I've had the most uh, insecurity about, I think would would definitely be that reparative. Yeah. Desire. Absolutely. The reparative fantasy. It's and then we can even go further of like what core desires are being met there. We could say potentially acceptance, praise. Yes. That's true. Yeah. No, I mean it's certainly acceptance and, that, and yeah, that praise thing. I think I'm like afraid to ever want praise, but it's also like because it's, it's like compliments, like I always reject them. But at the same time, mm. I don't want people to stop giving me compliments. <laughs> I, I, I think mm -hmm. I need I need those. I need the as a, as a writer and artist, like I need that validation, even though I, I would like to not uh, need that. But I think especially when it comes to, yeah, I mean, my body and I mean, I'm, I'm happy to go into m like more of my fantasies. But I think what another one of the reasons of the the shame or the uncomfortability with this topic for me was broaching these fantasies, broaching these desires and, and having those conversations with people and not because I just know myself and I know if someone asks me to do something, even if I don't want to do it, I'm going to I mean, I'm working on not being a people pleaser and, and being guilted into something. And that's not what most people are doing. But I want to please people. I want to do that for someone. So I because I know how my brain works, I am so afraid to just be like, hey, uh, you know, partner of mine, I really want you to, you know, uh, I like I wanted. Yeah, I mean, foreskin play is the one I brought up, but also like, you know, 
role play in different ways about like meeting at a bar and not knowing each other, like doing that sort of thing. But I, I don't want it to be like pressure. I don't want it to feel like I'm, mm -hmm. I mean, it is an ask, right? But it's also, I mean, obviously consent is a huge part of all this and that's not what I'm trying to circumvent at all. It's more of like, I want to be very, very careful that there's not anything like, oh, I'm just going to do this for Andy because it'll make Andy happy rather than, yes, I want to do that for you. Like no misgivings. Yeah. Well, I think there's a couple of things there. It's like you trusting that your partner, that you've created a safe space for them to advocate for themselves, right? I've In our relationship, there is enough safety that you can say no. That's a huge piece. Right. And then also asking in a, in a flirtatious or fun way of like, I can't stop thinking about role play, like meeting you at a bar. It really turns me on every time I think about it. What do you think about that? Does that turn you on? Does that excite you? What comes up for you as I explain that? So also talking about it in a curious way instead of, I really want to do this. What about you? Um, instead of more ultimatum me right. having curiosity, sharing also what this would do for you. This turns me on when I think about it. This makes me so hard. This makes me so wet. Or I can't stop thinking about this with you. And every time I think about it, I'm so turned on. So explaining to the effect that this fantasy or this desire has on you, because that's mm. an arousal, like knowing our partners are turned on by things. Maybe we don't want to do them, but even just knowing that they're turned on by thinking of us in these situations is arousing. It's like, oh, that's hot. I love that you're thinking about me in that way. Yeah. And that would be the sort of responsive desire in some way too, right? Or I mean, at least building on each other's desires or and, and feeling that. And, and, and I think that like, you s describing and I'm like, God, I I want to be able to just do that um, and getting into that space where that's just a casual conversation. And I mean, I, and I think we we get there, um, but it sometimes that does feel like talking about how hard I am. Uh, I just or, you know, and that was just an example you said, but I'm just like. I, 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 I like a part of it is just like that, like I'm immediately like, oh, that feels aggressive <laughs> or like that feels like. Uh, I mean, there's I mean, there's obviously just a base shame of like talking about my own like desire and, and pleasure and that like, oh, I'm I'm really aroused by you right now. Like that feels um, and I think there is just this fear, especially as a male presenting person of just like and I know in my partnership there is safety, but I think I've just in terms of the world in general, I definitely just am so afraid of, uh, you know, being predatory or something, even though I'm not. But like, mm -hmm. that's the the like fear I have, I think, around talking about just like, you know, my erection or just like how I don't know. Um, but obviously, in like, I mean, and, and it's not that it's like there's, you know, you always want that safety and comfort in a marriage and anything, but it's it's not like I'm <laughs> wouldn't be having this on like on a first date or anything like that either, which is a whole different <laughs> um, conversation. But Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can tell I'm I'm in I'm in my I'm in my my classic part where I'm like, I'm uh, this is when I'm uncomfortable slash like unsure of how to do this thing. So I try to intellectualize it or put myself down for sure, which now I'm like, oh, I wonder if there's a, a reparative <laughs> fantasy for that in, in the bedroom, like to like to remind myself to get back into my body and out of my head. You know, I think that's what I mean, that's what sex is so great for. And I think why I yearn for it, because it is one of the 
few things that can ground an overactive brain like mine or an anxious brain or you know all the different things going on i'm just sitting with that for a second yeah um I think, well, and also think about the language that feels accessible to you, right? That language that I use might not feel accessible. So what language does, right? Is it, I feel really turned on when you do that. When I think about this, I want you so bad. Maybe that's better language for you and your relationship. I talk about sex and erections and arousal all day. So maybe some of the language (laughs) I'm offering is a little bit advanced for some people and maybe other people feel really comfortable. Well, uh, I mean, I don't know about advanced. Well, yeah, no, I, I think it's just more of like, <laughs> that's funny. Um, I I feel like I want, I don't think that's, I think I, it's my discomfort. I don't think that would actually be crazy mm. or, or hard to say, but I think it's more of the like, if I putting that out there, the rejection part makes it harder because it's like, it feels like there's maybe a slightly more, like there's more, I mean, there's more desire there maybe, or there's more more of myself in that ask, I guess, or that, that uh, it's not an ask, but like the sort of that move, I guess, or just yeah. like that flirtation. Um, so it, like it and rejection, you mentioned at the top, you know, someone, you know, there's often someone who has more desire than the other in the, in the partnership. And uh, certainly that would be, that would be me. And, and there's uh, no, and I don't, I mean, I've gone into shame on that, but I don't, you know, especially now that we're in poly and, and, and that Lily is dating other people and I am currently not like there's even re- legitimate reasons why that would be the case. Um, not that I mean, they're all legitimate really reasons, but like even more <laughs> uh, like mm-hmm. evidence of why. Um, but the but I think that, you know, being the person that sort of I mean, you mentioned it like talked about would feel unattractive or or, or might feel that rejection more. So mm. if I'm go- if I'm laying it on thicker, that makes it I think that's my that's my fear that I'm uh, identifying. It'd be the fear of her being like, what? Or like, or, or just like, I mean, that what, that no would feel worse than just the normal like, hey, uh, <laughs> do you, I mean, hey, do you want to have sex tonight? Like that question, which is, you know, but I, I've mm-hmm. been working on just like that being a casual thing rather than, and that seems to like work in some ways better than maybe the other way where it's just like this, you know, mm-hmm. um, well, and it's setting up the context for it. So right. making sure the context is available to both of you. If someone's in the middle of working and you're like, hey, you want to fuck? They're probably going <laughs> to be like, no, I'm busy. And I, I'm annoyed that you even asked me that, right? I'm in the middle of doing right. something. Or if someone's in the middle of like making dinner or packing for a trip, like we have to also make sure that the way in which we're asking our partners for sex or telling our partners we're interested in sex that the context is available to us. If we're not asking or or pursuing partners in the correct context, we probably will be faced with more rejection. And the other key part too is like, there has to be established emotional intimacy, only reaching for physical intimacy or reaching for physical intimacy as the gateway to emotional intimacy will always lead to rejection because your partner is going to feel like an object or consumable. So going through, are we in a place where I've been emotionally connecting to my partner? Are we in a place where they've been emotionally connecting to me? If that's not been present, you're probably going to feel rejection or be faced with rejection or the sex just isn't going to be as connected because that base level of emotional intimacy isn't there, which we need before sex. A lot of people 
Some people to- no, totally need it after. I do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that's a, an, I mean, an amazing point seems very obvious, but I think there's so many times where if there are times in our relationship where we don't have that emotional base, that what I do, you know, sort of reach for to fix it or to get that is through a physical thing because it feels like, well, I do know we have chemistry there. There's a reason we do that. There's a reason we we work. Um, and so it feels like that sometimes is the easy way to get to emotion. But it's 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 perpetuating or it's creating that exact reality you said of like setting uh, that emotional uh I mean, that rejection, but also like, I mean, even objectifying uh, her in that in that moment, but not intentionally, but it's that is what's happening. And it's and it's because it I think there's a lot of training in in male training that's happening there. But also this like that emotional connection, it goes both ways. and, And when it's not feeling for either of us or one of us, that is a really hard place to be in for me. And I don't that I think instead of sometimes it feels like sex is the easier bridge but i think it's i don't think that's true but but anyway what i'm i think normally in a session we would probably still have another 20 more minutes but this is this is a podcast and we are going to now segue into like i really wanted to talk to you rachel about what brought you what brought you to being the person that's on the other side that is like so far you know, evolved and elevated in, you know, as you said, like the language that you you use compared to me and, and, and like knowing your upbringing. And I just want to know your, your, I mean, I want to know your story. I'd like to know what brought you to this space. I always have a hard time answering this question. I've answered it on so many podcasts and like in You've so answered many it on interviews. this one before. <laughs> and every time I get asked this question, I'm like, how did I get here? Um, so let's see. I grew up, I grew up, we mentioned this earlier in a religious cult. I grew up in very, very fundamentalist evangelical Christianity. Um, because of that and because of growing up in also strict abstinence only purity culture, I got engaged when I was about 19. Um, and later that year, I uh, broke off the engagement and left religion. I still don't know to this day of like how I found the strength. I think back at that 19 year old girl and I'm always impressed by her. Uh, she just knew that it wasn't that she wasn't safe. Um, hmm. So I left and then I kind of started healing. I would say maybe in my early 20s going to traditional therapy and traditional uh, modalities of like cognitive behavior therapy, CBT, uh, talk therapy. And I was having a really hard time actually healing from the religious trauma and feeling safe in my body, feeling like my nervous system was regulated, feeling like also my body believed this new set of um, in this new integrity that I had stepped into. I no longer believed a lot of the um, hierarchical morality that I grew up in with religion, but my body still did, even if my mind didn't. So how do I get my body then to regulate along with my new belief system? And that's when I found somatic therapy and somatic therapy changed my life. It was the, I will say, probably the only modality that really made a difference to me and in the ways in which I've been able to get to this point. So then I went back to school to become a somatic sex coach, and I went back and got another degree from Kinsey, my alma mater, uh, 
IU in human sexuality and gender studies. And that's where I am today. I wrote a book too along that journey of finding feminism about my journey about growing up in high control religion and leaving. And so it's been a really wild ride to get here. I was going to segue over, but I also just want to say like, thank you. I think why it's hard to answer that question is it's, I mean, it's a, it is a hard answer. It's a hard question. And I just appreciate your, your story and your strength and sharing it. And, and that, I mean, I, I feel a lot of reparative, uh, things happening and what you're, what you're doing work-wise, right. In terms of what you're, you're, uh, and that, that you're sharing that with the world, which is really powerful. And, and so thank you for bringing us to present day, Rachel. And I was just wondering, because I think already I'm, you know, I think part of this, and I hope that listeners were feeling some commonalities in my, in my story, my hangups and what's happening. But I was wondering, you know, in your work with clients, what, like, I wanted to talk, yeah, talk about that specific work a little bit. And, and I wanted to ask you what's an, mm. like, what's an issue that is, you know, surprisingly difficult, but super common that comes up in, in relationships or with your clients? Yeah. I think the biggest, uh, let's say the biggest reason clients come to me is desire discrepancies, um, feeling desire or feeling no desire at all. Um, Mm. Those are the two common uh, cases I work with. And it's really awesome when I'm just able to explain kind of the science behind desire and like what's actually happening in their bodies, what's happening in their minds. And then create a pathway with them to, okay, how do we create the context? How do I know what I want? How do I talk to my partner about this? How do we, how do I also know what keeps my foot on the brakes when my partner's initiating and I don't want mm. to have sex? What's keeping my foot on the brakes? And how do I open up this dialogue? So I'd say that's probably the most common. I also work with a lot of people just from my own background, religious trauma. Mm. And I work with a lot of men um, with erectile dysfunction as well. So those are kind of, I'd say, the three wheelhouses that I'm working (laughs) a lot in right now. I was going to say erogenous zones, and I apparently did anyway. But but yeah, um, but that's uh, okay. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And I and the I think what it feels like what we're trained to do in, well, our society, probably the world over is that think of these things as hangups or that are problems with ourselves. You know, the desire discrepancy means there's something wrong with me, means there's something wrong Mm -hmm. with her, means there's, you know, rather than there's science, there's like, there's, I mean, it's not, it's like, it's not about me. It's not about her. It's not, or, but it also, I mean, it is, but not in this sense of like, oh, it's because of my failings as a man or as a, partner as all these different things it's more of these failures of communication and this like and just sort of the things that we have internally that we've been uh living with and i think that's what it seems like somatic sex coaching offers is the ability to heal those uncover those and and use sex as the the healing ground the 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 healing space to to uh, i mean not fix but like uh, address those those sort of those hangups that we have those those issues. Is there anything that surprises you in this work, or 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 something that would maybe surprise us? I'd say the thing that maybe not surprises me, but fr- I don't feel like there's a lot of things that surprise me anymore. <laughs> maybe when I first started, there were things that surprised me for sure. 
probably people's lack of comfort around talking about sex mm. was a little bit surprising. I knew that it was deep, but I didn't re- realize it ran so deep for so many people that even hadn't grown up in religious trauma around purity culture. The thing that I'll say frustrates me the most or that I see the most is the benevolent sexism in heterosexual relationships and how deeply ingrained misogyny is in our relationships. That is a deep, that is so frustrating to me. And it's frustrating to, or it's difficult, I'll say, to figure out healthy ways to address this within partnerships that are otherwise appearing healthy um, because both people can become defensive. No, I have a really great partner. He's incredible. And he'll say, well, I I do so much around the house and I help with X, Y, and Z. And it's really um, taking your ego to the side to recognize the deep sexism and misogyny that is in our heterosexual relationships, even with the best of people. That doesn't, unfortunately, doesn't surprise me that that's uh, pre- prevalent. And, and I think there's even so many echoes of that and and i mean not even like there's echoes of that in what i was talking about the whole time like i can see it in in everything um and you know whether it's conscious or not and i think it goes both ways like i know lily has a much more uh like it doesn't come from me but this like need or desire to like clean up feels like something that she needs to do for me and i'm like what no or or, or like uh, or for her, it's like part of like her value and it comes from childhood. It comes from <laughs> what has been. And and, and that always uh, it's it's just it is so frustrating because I think it does come from it does lead to defensiveness, especially because like the the worst thing in the world to me would be to be like, oh, I'm I am uh, willingly or or even unwittingly doing this, you know, sexist practices or or, or having that in a relationship. So I. And I and I wanted to that actually makes me think of like, I think what I've been moved since we we met originally, what I've been most moved by you and 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 the work you're doing online is is your vulnerability and honesty about your recent breakup and recent, like, I think, experience mm-hmm. with exactly what you're talking about. And and I thought, like, it seems like a hard balance as to be a sex coach, to be a therapist, be in a position of, I mean, authority but also like you're you know you're helping me you're helping us have relationships have better sex and then you're sharing you know the the problems and quotes that you have right now and i and i was wondering how that like i just want to a thank you because i think that vulnerability is important and like that makes me want to hire you more as a coach at least for me but i was just wondering like what kinds of things were coming up for you uh before like kind of making that conscious decision or how you balance being like a real person and a coach yeah I think it's it's a really hard balance of sharing this is what I'm going through because it helps other people see the humanness right and realize like just because I do this does not mean I have perfect relationships just because I do this doesn't mean that sex is always easy for me or that it's always great or that it's so easy to talk about I still have a lot of hang-ups as we all do um it's I will say it's really hard finding the balance of this because I also need to be respectful of the people I've dated or am dating and their own privacy. I've chosen to share my life with people. Um, I've never dated anyone who has also chosen that. So being respectful of them and also figuring out what part of my story is impactful and necessary to share and what part of my story is just trauma dumping because Mm. I need to be... um, 
I need to contain my own energy as well. I really, I shared a little bit about my breakup, right? But I really didn't share the whole story with anyone um, online. I've shared that it was hard, that it was sudden, that there was uh, domestic violence, but that's kind of all I've shared. And I don't know that I'll ever share more about it because it's something that was big T trauma um, and came about really uh, horrifically. But I think sharing what I've shared still allows people to see the humanity and the reality of all of our relationships, that they're not always easy and that things can happen even when I have years and skills and knowledge and resourcing, I can still be in, I can end up in a healthy relationship just like anyone else. And, and I mean, and I'm, I'm just moved and, and sorry that, you know, you're, you're, you experience that you're going through it and, and, um, and of course would not ask you to go in further. And I think like what the, the sort of line that you've drawn for yourself, I think really, I mean, what it is, is still welcoming people into that space and, and that togetherness of other people that have had the same experience. Uh, I'm inspired by you, Rachel, and and, uh, and just feel really honored to share this time uh, with you. And, and, and I just I wanted to sort of end with one question. And it's to turn the tables slightly, but it's not in the same way it is. So it is. What are your fantasies and desires when it comes to society and a sex positive world? Like, what are you hoping to help change about the and I know this is like probably this is your whole life, right? And I'm trying to ask you to distill it in like a minute. And it's your fantasy and desire, right? So it, it can be. It can be anything. So my fantasy and desire when it comes to the world is that everyone is able to live a life of pleasure because pleasure is liberation. Pleasure is social justice. Pleasure is reclamation of our bodies in consent. Pleasure is I deserve to feel good just because I'm human and I don't have to do anything to earn this or I don't have to work. It's a fuck you to capitalism. It's fuck you to ableism and racism and everything else that are the evils in this world that really are the problems we're all facing. So my fantasy and my desire is for everyone to experience the liberation of pleasure and to have a world that is liberated through pleasure. I love that dream. I love that. Like, and that's, I mean, I'm with you and, and my struggles with it is why I'm having you here. Uh, and I, and I was wondering before we send off, what's one thing, I, I mean, maybe this is you, tr me trying to get a specific here, but what's one thing that I, or a listener could do to, to help promote pleasure in our lives today when we get out of the car or get out of the shower or whatever, we're listening to this. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, an easy thing, just touch your body and notice what it feels like. Hold your own hand and rub it or oh, I was um, doing that as you're. Yeah, perfect. Notice what it feels like, too. What does it feel like for me to touch my own hand? What are the sensations that come with as you're drinking your coffee in the morning? As you listen to this, notice what does it feel like as I drink this coffee? What are the sensations and the pleasure that comes to me? It's pleasure is a deep connection to presence and your body. Pleasure is mindfulness at the end of the day. It's mindfulness and body connection to sensations. So 
whatever way in which you want to do that, pursue that. And there's a really great book, um, uh, Pleasure at, wait, no, Pleasure, activism. Act, pleasure Activism. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> pleasure yeah, yeah. Activism is a great book that talks about this. And then if you want to dive more into Desire, um, Come As You Are by Emily Nagowski, and then also Coming Together. Those are two good books that dive into uh, fantasy and desire. Amazing. Rachel, you are a font of information and uh, sex positivity. And I thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, to foster that connection with our listeners, where can the people find you? What, uh, what, like, how can they get your books? Uh, please roll out the, the red carpet of Rachel. So my books are uh, The Breakup Journal and Finding Feminism are both available on Amazon. Um, Finding Feminism is also in some bookstores across the U.S., so you might find it in your bookstore. And then finding me, TikTok and Instagram, just at Rachel Overvall. And then if you're interested in working together through Modern Intimacy, we do um, free consultations. So if this is something you're interested in working through or having support on, we can do a consultation as well. And if you're hearing that lapping up of the dolly in the background of that water, you gotta, you gotta lap up that free consultation. All right. Cause that's why like, come on, hang up the podcast, <laughs> sign up for a free consultation every time. That is, that is my mission. You know, my dream for the world is that we all take it like, we all take the signs from the universe that are given to us and like a free consultation is a gift. Take that gift. Uh, it's going to help you. Uh, and Rachel, you are a gift. Thank you so much for joining us again. And I'm excited for other people to see the origin story later um, cool. going on. But uh, but yeah, thank you, Rachel. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Of course. <laughs> oh yeah dolly <laughs> thank you dolly <laughs> the star of the show yeah <laughs> thanks for listening to the naked man podcast what's your greatest desire mine is for you to follow and subscribe to the naked man podcast wherever you get your podcasts if this episode helped you get more comfortable identifying fantasies and desires and how to speak about them tag us at naked man pod on socials and let us know how Next time on the Naked Man Podcast, I get my lip scrub on with beauty influencer Jacinda Pender. In the meantime, as my dad always says, be sweet. Yeah. One second, my dog is like, I have an English bulldog. She's like grunting behind me. Get her to come. Oh, is that what that noise is? <laughs> yeah. She's like, she started grunting because she wants to play. Dolly, come here. Okay. She's getting, she's calm now. I'm petting her. <laughs>